KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. This is KYW News Radio in depth. I'm Matt Leon. APM of Philadelphia is a nonprofit organization that helps provide all kinds of services with a focus on the city's Latino community. We wanted to learn more about the Association of Puerto Ricans on the Move, so we caught up with Nilda Ruiz. She is the president and CEO of APM, and we find out about the organization, what life has been like for them during the pandemic, and the work they have done to get the community they work with vaccinated. Give a listen. So to start, for people that aren't familiar... Tell me about APM. What is the organization about? Who do you work with? And what is kind of the driving force behind it? APM stands for Asociación Puerto Ricanos de Malcha. Um, we started 51 years ago during the civil rights movement when so many uh, Latinos, well, I'm, we say Latinos now, but back in the 40s, 50s, 60s, up to about the 70s, the majority were Puerto Rican that were coming into Philadelphia. And we have, Puerto Ricans have a huge and deep history with Philadelphia. First with the tobacco and then with the sugar cane, the, the ships and the, and the workers all came from Puerto Rico. So in the seventies, you know, many were still coming and we had these five veterans that came back from the, the Vietnam war and they looked around and they were, they were like, wow, we served this country, but our families here need help too. So they started the Asociación Puerto Ricanos en Malcha to help many of the Puerto Ricans that were coming from Puerto Rico, not familiar with the Northeast winters. So they would come in with their short um, sleeves and their guayaberas, not understanding how cold. And even if they thought they knew, it wasn't anything near. So um, many of them settled in North Philadelphia, where we are in the Germantown area. And, you know, sub and substandard housing. So it was always a dream. At that time, they started with behavioral health because of our language and because of the accent. Many thought that maybe we had a learning disability. So they started out with behavioral health to help families and then social work to help them um, assimilate. And I don't know that we ever assimilate, but to help them settle in and, and understand the system over here that is very different from Puerto Rico. So they started with behavioral health and then uh, went into uh, social services, um, more specifically children protective services around foster care. And then in 1989, we actually started the community and economic development, which is the area that everybody sees us because uh, you go by and you see these beautiful homes between Burks and York and 9th Street and 5th Street. Most of that, those housing developments have, has been APM. So people knew us through that, but we have had a long, a long history. And today we do social services. We're very multifaceted, but the core uh, work that we do is early childhood education. We have four centers and we're always looking for, for workers and, and people to come and work. But we are um, an AC certified and all four centers are four star, four keystone stars. So they're high quality, high impact um, centers. We also have three behavioral health centers where we do behavioral health, individual, family, and group therapy. And that's another one that we've, the misconception that it's always about crazy people. And that's not what behavioral health is about. Sometimes it's, it's about just learning how to navigate 
um, through, through tough times. And we've really learned that through this pandemic. So we're a community umbrella agency in the 24th and 25th police districts. So um, if there's a safety issue with the children and they call DHS the hotline, when the investigator goes out, if they find that there is a threat in, in the 24th or, or 26th police districts, then they call us and we go pick up the child or we'll go into the family. And there, if there is a, a, a safety issue, we will work with that family on parenting skills or whatever it is that they need. Sometimes it's just that they're not paying the rent, they're about to get evicted or they've lost their water. And then there's more um, severe cases where you know parents are really uh, abusing their children. So we'll move them and we try during the 18 months to try always try to reunify those families. If we're not able to, then we, you know, we work with the court system to terminate those rights. So that's the foster. And then we also have 325 homes in foster care that we make sure that are, that are ready for, to receive these kids in loving families while we work with the biological family. And then the last one is the community and economic development. So what, once we work with, with families and try to get them stable, um, our goal is always to get them to self-sufficiency and to build wealth. And when we say build wealth, it doesn't necessarily mean, you know, become a millionaire or a billionaire, but um, it, at minimum to be able to become a homeowner or to or how to invest their money so that they can start a savings program. So we have a financial opportunity center and, and housing counseling. So when a family comes in, we look through their budget. We look at benefits. Um, what benefits do they qualify for? And we try to start getting them into a discipline of savings. If um, Many times they can't own a home uh, or get a, a, a mortgage because they just don't have credit. So we help them work through that process. And sometimes we work with a family one or two years. But once we get them ready um, to become a homeowner, uh, we help them to get a mortgage and, and get into a home. And um, during the foreclosure process, we did not, anyone that went through our counseling, we did not get one foreclosure because the families that we had really understood what it meant to be a homeowner, to service those mortgages, and to make sure that they, you know, stayed in their homes. So 51 years gives us a lot of time out there in the community. So we have many stories of families that have gone from homelessness to home ownership, And we have, we, we all, she's given us permission to use her story. She came to us as a domestic abuse and with three children. She started working on a volunteer basis. Then she worked with us part-time. Then um, she went into one of our rental units from the shelter that we used to have. And then she saw the, the new homes that we were building. She goes, I want one of those. She started saving money. She was one of the first homeowners that we had. I think she bought her home for like 55000 Today, her daughter, her daughters, both of them are homeowners. And one of them has gotten a master's, um, gone to college and has a master's. I mean, when you think of those stories that you break that cycle of poverty and where they are today, and then the now homes are selling around there for about 300000 So you think about that equity and that's, you know, building wealth, you know, so it's just really motivating to do what we do and knowing that this is the outcome of the families we serve. So all the great work you're doing, take me back to March 2020 when the world goes sideways. 
what are what is your organization focusing on? What kind of questions are you getting from people? I, it was such a crazy time. So kind of walk me through what was the focus and what, you know, as this pandemic started and there's so much uncertainty, uh, what kind of questions were people asking? What kind of help was needed? What were you doing? Yeah, I think I will remember that March 2020, like I remember 9-11. It's just crazy. We have learned so much, but we have been growing. Um, we had just come out of, you know, helping a lot of families that came from Hurricane Maria. And and um, I've been helping folks in Florida and in the suburbs. And we were growing. We had just decided. And I finally hired a chief operating officer to help me with the operations. And we were just we were just, you know, rolling and going and moving and so excited. Um, we had just gotten a partnership. I mean, talk about timing with T-Mobile for our children to each have tablets in their homes. And then this happened. And we were like, oh, my God, what do we do? So um, we had to we, we had one case, someone that had COVID in the office. So we, we, we had to pivot and we were like, well, what are, what are we going to do? So. The early childhood education, because we had this, so the teachers, what we did, and then giving the tablets were really difficult too. So what we did is we did an Amazon style um, uh, giveaway. So we, the teachers each went to all of the students in their classrooms and we put these tablets, we, we um, populated them or uploaded a bunch of children, um, uh, uh, children games and educational programs so we uploaded that that took a long time with our it folks um the teachers uh taught the the um the parents how to be able to to um get online to be able to talk to us through zoom or through teams so they went out put them in ziploc bags with their cameras and went and gave them out to all the kids and it was so sweet they were like when are we going to see you missy and you know all their teachers so we got them all these 600 tablets that we gave away. And the teachers were able to talk with these kids on a weekly basis, give them assignments, talk to them. It gave the parents a way to be able to talk through the Internet and gave them a way to lessen that digital divide and get to other means as well. So that was really exciting. Um, on our staff side, we weren't ready because we, we were just not ready. Everyone comes into the office. And in a way, our business is very, it's the foot soldiers. We need to be out there with the community. I mean, we, we don't have the luxury of, of being able to work from home. But our IT department, I mean, I'm just so impressed with them. They work 24-7. And within a week, we were able to get our teachers laptops. We, we sent them home. We started deploying them from home. Of course, Children Protective Services, it's not something that you can stay home. I mean, these are kids that could be in a very abusive situation. And God forbid that something should happen to any of them under our watch. So that was really nerve wracking. But um, our case managers, I tell you, I just my hat goes out to these case managers because you have to do it with a real love for families. So they continue to, to work. We were able to to uh, look at the families and they were still, they did not lose um, a, a beat with that. Um, we have community, a lot of community engagement. Uh, even during the voting, we were able to get people out to vote. Um, they went out and did a, a, a voting parade and don't lose your homes, you know, 
that's the other thing. Our area is gentrifying. We have a lot of um, opportunistic developers that are coming into the communities and, and, and just offering them pittance. So we were trying to educate our family. Look, if they're offering you 40,000, these homes are going for 200,000. So we were out there giving out flyers and educating the, the uh, community. So, and the behavioral health, um, the community behavioral health allowed us to do telecommunicate, telemedicine. So our uh, directors and our therapists were able to continue to provide those services to our behavioral health, to some of the ones that were drug and alcohol. So we did not miss a beat, but that doesn't mean that our blood pressure did not go up because there was no precedence for this. And it was like, you know, you're building your plane as you're flying it and you're like just going at it. But I'm just so proud of the staff and the love um, that they had for the community and everybody just pivoted and we, we did not miss a beat. And, um, the city and state were very generous. They allowed us to continue our, our operations. So, so I did not have to, I did not have to lay off anybody, which was really nice. And I, and I'm sure that's not just my story. I think many nonprofits, I've heard the same thing from them. It, it, it was just a really difficult, difficult time. Added to that was the, the people that lost their jobs and they were coming to us because they couldn't pay the rents or they've lost their jobs. And, um, working with the city and trying to get them. And then we ourselves have rental units and we, we had a bunch of families that could not pay their rents. And of course, that's a ripple effect because um, it's low income. It, our margins are nil. So as it comes in, it goes out. And meanwhile, we still have all the bills. We got to keep up everything and we're not getting the income. So yeah, that was... It has been a year. <laughs> that was going to be my, you mentioned the, the people losing their jobs, the community you serve. And I'm sure just about like everywhere, there's a plethora of issues that people came to you with that were related to this pandemic. But for the community you serve, what would you say were the biggest problems that you had to help people or try to help them through uh, over the last, let's say the, the last year and a half or so since the pandemic started? So housing was a big one because they lost their they 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 lost their jobs and many of these uh, folks work in the service industry so um, so restaurants and so on were closing down and they usually work on tips so that was really difficult. Then when the school um, the children like they, they have small homes so sometimes um, the the kid they had two and three kids that were all um, learning from from home. And that was difficult. The noise, they themselves were not equipped as teachers to be able to help them. So that was, uh, that was really difficult. And then we were like, okay, let's get the mirror buds, but they were still, you know, the, 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 the noise. And then many of them didn't have internet connection. So how do we get them to be able to get Wi-Fi so that they can connect with their teachers? And then it was really slow. So that, and then as things started things are opening up again. It's like, I still have some kids at home somewhere. So it's, um, you know, all the issues that are in the family that were just compounded. And I know your organization, once the vaccines became available, you guys worked to get your community vaccinated. What was that like at first? Was it something the 
the the community you work with embraced? Was there a lot of you had to talk people through it? Did you have to, you know, is there still? Well, we'll talk about where you are now. But when it started, you know, what what were some ways you did you work to help get people vaccinated? That's um that's interesting because when we started, they weren't getting out to our community. So it was it was hard to even just get them into our community. And everyone was like really upset. We were advocating um, all the Latino agencies. We all got together and and just hammered the city about, you know, getting it, especially the elderly and so on. When when we finally got them and they became available, um, the ones that wanted it, we, we had a big surge. And then the the, the Johnson and Johnson um, <clears throat> issue came out with the one vaccine and then everybody got nervous and they started pulling back. And when they paused it, it for a few days there, they not only for a few days, even right now, though, the Latinos have a higher rate of accepting these these uh, vaccinations than, than other than other communities. But they are still um, very nervous. And then there's so much misinformation from they're putting a chip in our arm. The women that are young and we have a lot of young women um, they, they're concerned that they can't have babies and then, you know, at some point they want to have children. Um, so we had a medical, um, uh, a medical doctor come out and talk to our staff. And he told us that it does not impact. And even if you're pregnant, um, he said, you, it, you should be okay. However, you should always check with your primary because not all pregnancies are the same. So it would be, I mean, you know, he says it would be irresponsible for him to say, yes, if you're pregnant, you can, you can take it. And in most cases, it's not an issue, but everyone is different. So they should consult with their primary doctors. And, um, but there's a lot of misinformation, mis, mis, uh, conceptions out there of what it is. And, um, and, you know, everybody reacts, everyone has a different uh, reaction. I've been vaccinated and the first one that wasn't a problem. The second one, the sore arm and one day, but I kind of, you know, I, I'm a coward when it comes to pain. So before it even started, I took Tylenol extra strength and it, and, but I had the chills, um, that, that one night. And then the next day I was fine. So, you know, I'm, I, I, I just don't get it. Cause you have to get vaccinated to start school you have to get vaccinated for other things. Um, it's been proven in millions of people already. And there's a very small sample of, of people that have a bad reaction. So I'm like, I don't know what else people need. It's like, oh, you know, folks, let's just get vaccinated and get on with it so we can get with our normal lives. But that's easier said than done. What do you find kind of going along with that? Is misinformation the biggest hurdle? Is it political is it distrust of of doctors from maybe a bad experience in the past if you had to put one or two things with the latino community the puerto rican community you work with that you have to fight through to get people vaccinated what would be at the top so there's some people that medically they i mean i understand their immune system and i get that so there's some of those um religious I don't think there's a lot of religious uh, reasons. Like I I know some religions, you know, with, with the blood and all, but there's no blood in this. There's no, so there really isn't. um, uh, I have some family, you know, that, and they've gotten vaccinated. Um, I think most of it is misinformation. We have access to the internet. There's a lot of people out there that are very articulate, but are giving out really bad information. 
and um and people are just you know listening to it and and they get nervous and and also you know as puerto ricans and as and as african americans and minorities there's there's some fear there because in the past we have been used as guinea pigs there's been histories where we you know puerto rican women were um sterilized without their knowing you know, we, we all know what, you know, they've done with the African-American community. And I guess I should say the same with the Jewish community, right? They, we've been used as experiments. So there's some of that, but, you know, I try to tell people that today it is not that, you know, and um, I think most of it is misinformation. They just, like, I, I talked to one of my aunts and she's like, I just don't want to do it. I don't believe in it. I don't want to. And I don't know, you know, what... There's a lot of people that have just made up their minds and don't confuse me with the facts. And um, and there isn't the trust of science that there was before. So, you know, um, like society is getting way ahead of their own beliefs and where science is. And science is not trusted in the same way that years ago it was it was trusted. So, yeah, misinformation and proponents, you know, look, take vitamin D and that'll help, you know, and and, and, you know, vitamin D is good for, for viruses, but this is, you know, uh, a tough one. And there's just a big mistrust and it's gotten very politicized, too. And it shouldn't have been, but it is as well. That being said, do you feel like, because I've read some articles that in Philadelphia, specifically the Latino community at first was one of the, the lowest vaccinated, but that has really accelerated in a good way over the, the last few months, last several months. So I guess, do you find you and your staff, you're able to get through to a lot of people because you are obviously people that they've worked with, they've trusted, and I'm imagining that would go a long way for people on the fence or that have good faith concerns. Yeah, so I think one, seeing people that look like them and then seeing some of us also getting vaccinated that are more, maybe more informed about the history of it, and they see that we're trusting it, so they trust it, right? So that that works. but. It's not as quick as when it takes, it takes a little bit. We convince them, but it takes a little bit of talking them through it. It's not like they just come and, and just take it as, as is. Um, it takes a little bit of convincing, but most of the time when they come in or we've talked to them, they will do it. But it does take a little bit more time than just a public announcement or you know, other information that I've given them that they trusted much quicker. This takes a little bit more. I mean, I, I take like 10 or 15 minutes to talk them through it before they'll come and allow us to. And, and by the way, we're doing vaccinations every Wednesday at our uh, 4221 North 2nd Street. So we take walk-ins. The, the best way is to do it through our website and, um, and schedule yourself because like that, they bring the right amount of vaccines and, and you don't run the chance of um, coming in and and not having enough, but they do, the doctors do bring um, extra ones that you can just walk in. So aside from vaccinations, and we talked about some of the challenges you guys faced early on, right now, as we're kind of in this weird place where we kind of thought we were on the off-ramp, but now with this Delta variant, things are kind of in limbo again. What is, what are the main, the main focus right now of your organization, and what are some of the the, the questions you're being asked and things you're you're helping people with at this point. So when the, the big question I used to get is when do when do we not have to wear masks? So 
if they got vaccinated, we were giving we're giving them a wristband that says vaccinated. It's orange and it has our logo so that the security knows. And if they're in a meeting, they know they're they're among other people that have been vaccinated. But with this variant, uh, we've had um, folks that have had the vaccine and in all honesty that have gotten it a very mild form of COVID. But we have one case of that. So we're back to wearing the masks because um, it, I mean, you won't get it as bad. And, and, and that has shown, you know, through the, these. But um, it's just, you know, everyone's nervous. But um, so we, we've had to pivot to wear the mask until we, we see what, what happens at the end of this. And now they're talking about the people that are immune um, deficient uh, to do a booster shot. So it, every day it changes and we're, we're looking at the CDC and I understand it's, it's mutating, it's different and people need to be patient with it. So, um, but you know, every day we're, we just have to stay looking at the CDC and, and see what they're putting out because they're at the top of it. And so that we can see how we keep us and our community safe. You talked about, you do vaccinations, uh, if somebody's listening to this, wants more information, not just on vaccinations, but on any of the programs that you you guys offer, pandemic, no pandemic, how do they get in touch with you? What should they do? How do they do it? Yes. Anyone that wants information, they can go to our website, which is um, apmphiladelphia.org. And, uh, or they can call our main number, which is 267-296-7200. And you won't get a live person, but you will get a recording that'll take you to the to the um, department that you need to get to. And then you you either get a recording or you get a live person. Then we're shorthanded like everybody else, but um, we are good at getting back to to people. And then if, if for the vaccinations, all everything that we've been doing and and any public events we have on our website. Um, and then on every Wednesday from nine to twelve. Um, we have vaccinations that are micro tattoo, but I, I, nine to 12 is safe at, uh, 4221 North second street in Philadelphia, which is right where rising sun and second street on the second street, um, sign. And, you know, we're here for everyone. And I want to make that point because I did say, you know, association of Puerto Ricans in the March. What I did not mention is that, you know, as the community evolves, so have we, and the board has been very, uh, focus that we would it's 8 p.m. for everyone and anyone that you know it's low income or economically disadvantaged or socially disadvantaged we're here for them and um, whether you're Spanish speaking or non-Spanish speaking we will take um, anyone that comes to our doors we will serve them and we will uh, work with them like they're one of our own That's it for this episode of KYW News Radio In Depth. You can listen to the podcast free anytime on the Odyssey app, and you can find it wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Matt Leon, and we'll have another episode out soon.